The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 850, the last one for the year, for Monday, December 28th, 2020. To the Mac Observers, Mac Geekab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found, all of those good things. We take your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found, we share them, we answer them, we discuss them. The goal is for each and every one of us to learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include... Otherworld Computing with a new app for us to talk about. Cashfly at mac.cashfly.com. Sunbasket at sunbasket.com slash MGG. And Ladder at ladderlife.com slash MGG. We will talk more in depth about each of those shortly here during the episode. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. As far as you know. It's John F. Braun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, let's dive in. We've got some good quick tips. We've got um, we've got a discussion about time capsule replacements that I'm actually quite eager to get to as well. But uh, but lots of quick tips and cool stuff found and just things that, well, things that normally have come in, but also things that have like we've we've, you know, gotten things for the holidays and we've given some things, but there's also some things we might want to get. But also just some tips that that came up in holiday discussions and and those sorts of things, the natural stuff that uh, that happens and, and even the weird stuff that happens this year. So. All right. Uh, Scott starting out. Uh, Scott says. Gents, I basically treat Siri like my personal assistant, telling her to do all kinds of things. One command that I use regularly is to say, hey, S-Lady, call 800-555-1212. And he says uh, that's really handy for when you're reading a number for, say, customer support on a web page or in an app and don't want to have to switch the phone's keypad to enter it. He says, one thing I just noticed is that Siri will convert words that are found in phone numbers into the correct numbers. For example, uh, well, he talks about calling Belkin support, but, you know, realistically, much better to talk about saying, hey, S lady, call 224-888-GEEK. And then you don't even have to ask John, which is? 4335. See, Siri already knows this. It's beautiful. Wow. I know. It's yeah. great. So thanks for sharing that, Scott. That's, uh, that's good. I, I, I actually, I, I don't, I certainly had never tried that with Siri. I don't know that I would have even thought to try it. So, so that's good. Good stuff. Fun. We love the quick tips. It's good. Anything, any thoughts on that one before yeah. we uh, move it along? No, that's, uh, that's neat. Back in the days when they had, uh, letters and phone numbers. <laughs> Well, we still do. It, today is that day. Yeah. Well, because mm-hmm. we put geek in the we we put the geek in everything, including two two four eight 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 geek, our phone number, where you can leave us voicemails, ask us questions, those sorts of things. You can also use the Mac Geek Gab app, which is freely available on iOS. If uh, you want to do that, uh, it's available for both iPhone and iPad, and uh, and it will let you send in comments, audio comments, text comments, and of course listen to the shows and all of that stuff too and participate in the chat room 
at live.matgeekab.com. So all of that stuff right there in the app. You know, inside that app, John, you can email feedback at matgeekab.com if you are so inclined. Oh, yeah. Feedback at matgeekab.com. That's Feed a good one. It is. It, it is a good one. It's feedback at matgeekab.com. All right. Uh, Andrew has a quick tip here. He says, I recently upgraded to my AirPods Pro after my 2016 AirPods became unusable. They became unusable because the volume reduced, I guess, because of four years of cerumen buildup, a.k.a. earwax. Uh, they were useless outdoors with traffic noise. They couldn't compete. Further, the battery would only last an hour or two. So I upgraded and I'm really happy. What became of the 2016 AirPods? They now sit on my desk at work just for phone calls. They're still paired. The volume is fine for office and most calls go no longer than 15 minutes, which is well within the reduced battery capacity. Since I have an Apple lightning dock, uh, the AirPods sit up all day on it and they look cool too. And so there's a cool stuff found. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, he says, so rather than tossing these reduced capacity, re reduced capability, 2016 AirPods in the drawer, they now have a new lease on life in an appropriate environment for which they are perfect. Y you know, I, I think AirPods are the best Bluetooth headset I've ever used. And my guess is that my battery life on my AirPods is well reduced from their initial capacities, just like yours. But I use them at my desk almost exclusively for phone calls. I don't, I mean, occasionally I'll put them in if I'm going to go hike in the woods or whatever. But, um, but for the most part, no, I, I just use them for phone calls and they're, it's just so easy because you just put them in and they always pair to whatever your device is. It's, it's great. So, yep. I'm with you on that. Very cool. Very cool. Have you checked out AirPods yet, John? No. Okay. <clears throat> I think I now I got some, uh, Plantronics hooked me up with, uh, uh, some, uh, in-ear ones that I really like. And they have a, a little app and you can program yeah. the, the button on the side to do all sorts of things there. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm surprised the AirPods don't have, um, don't have a tool so you can clear out the yuck. Uh, these ones that I have here, the, uh, Eddie Modic, uh, I think these are the ER6. Mm, they no, actually have a little. You're, you're way past ER6s. ER6s were like 20 years ago, right? Um, Right. Oh, or am I thinking yeah. the wrong what you used to have ER sixes, but I think now oh, I'm sorry. These are the ER four XR. Okay. Yeah. That's extended response. That's right. But they actually include a little tool that you can use to get the yuck out. So. Yes. It's it, kind of nice. Yeah. It's it, there's usually like a little wax loop that you can use to grab and that might work mm -hmm. for AirPods too. I haven't, I mean, oh, right. be careful though, shine a light in there. I don't have my AirPods in front of me here, so I can't look, but you know, typically unlike the Edemotics or others that come with the wax loop, uh, the wax loop is built to not go deep enough to hit any elements or anything inside the, the earphones. Mm -hmm. If you're using a, another wax loop with AirPods, be very careful because I think the screen is right there, but you still might be able to mm -hmm. very gently use it to sort of scrape the, the, the buildup off mm -hmm. of those. So yeah. 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 Those, those ER four XRs are nice. Those are, uh, they, they, I agree. They sound good. Okay. Uh, you know, I was doing a thing the other day, John, and looking in my, uh, Apple device list it, it, and you can see it 
in different places. You can see it on your iPhone. If you go into uh, settings and then tap on your name and, you know, as you're heading towards the iCloud mm-hmm. settings, you can see all the devices that are there. And I realized I had some devices that were no longer those devices. Like my old MacBook Air had been actually been repurposed twice. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But, um, you know, and, and it was still listed there as Dave's MacBook Air and things like that. And I and, and so I cleaned them all out. And of course, removing a device there doesn't really cause you any trouble or it shouldn't cause you any trouble. If the device reconnects to your iCloud account, it'll just reappear there. It's fine. So, uh, so I cleaned a bunch of them out and what was, there were probably six devices there that shouldn't have been there. Old iPhones again, that have been repurposed and other people are using. So they, they evidently don't clear out, uh, when they should. I know that for example, with my air, I logged out of everything on it before I wiped it. Um, my son used it temporarily while his was in for service. And then now my wife has, uh, my 2018 air since I have the M one. And, uh, so I don't I, like th- that list doesn't really get managed by Apple. It's up to you to manage it. So go in there and, and remove them. But I found an interesting thing after I removed, you know, like I said, five or six devices. So there's whatever five or six left and I, a couple of iPads. Cause I have one in the mixer, my iPhone, and then the few Macs that I use. And, um, as I logged into all of my devices after that, I got notifications saying, Hey, you recently attached your Apple ID to iMac studio, or you're using this on your iPhone. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But, but I didn't change anything with that. So it's weird that removing old devices triggered the notification about all of my existing connected devices which tells me that maybe it was a good thing that I went through and sort of, you know, pushed, poked at that list a little bit. So I recommend go in, clean out all your Apple devices, uh, especially, you know, this time of year, you know, there's been new phones and new Macs and all that stuff. So you might have old things in there, just remove them. So. Yeah. And the other place you may want to go is uh, if you, uh, you know, uh, I had this uh, weird uh, Apple music, thing happened to me and apple took care of it they you know credited me the right the money and all that but um the other place to look is if you go into music account uh view my account manage devices i found that there were um uh which i still think is the cause of whatever happened but i had ancient devices still authorized so look at that list as well because it seems that that list is not the same as the list that you just talked about. It's not. No, they're not it related. It probably should be. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. They are both added at the same time, which drives me mm-hmm. crazy, but that's a different story. So, yeah. But but as as uh, Alan567 in the chat room is pointing out, the ones in the list that I mentioned uh, are the ones that get notifications when you're trying to log in. They are trusted devices. So... Uh, so it is good for it not to think that it should be sending notifications to those. My guess is that they might also be part of the iMessage uh, authentic uh, encryption thing too. I'm not sure where that happens, but you know, iMessage being end-to-end encrypted means every single one of your devices has an encryption key, and that is bundled 
together. All of them are bundled together. So like, for example, you have the public keys for all of my devices, John, so that you, when you send a message, it's encrypted for all of them, which can get to be a lot. So cleaning, hopefully cleaning that stuff out. Hopefully it purges things on Apple servers and, and does that. So yeah, thank you for that. Yep. 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 Um, another tip, John is, as you're getting new devices, especially new iPhones, new iPads, or even repurposing devices where you wipe one and bring it back in, check in settings, Wi-Fi, and then once you've connected to your home network, hit the little I, you know, next to the home network and turn off the use private address feature there. We talked about this when it was added with iOS 14 a couple months ago, but if you have used private address there, it can get weird with, uh, you know, if you if you want to have user profiles or anything like that, it really obscures what type of device it is. It obscures it can it can cause issues with with, you know, parental controls, things like that. So so go turn that off. Uh, it's a good thing when you're on non-trusted networks, but I wish, I wish their user experience with that was a little bit better. And it would just be like, look, if you're on a trusted network, it might be a good thing to have this off. So, so go check that too. I think, what do you, am I, am I wrong on this, John, to give that advice? No, no, I'm, 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 I'm with you on that. <clears throat> okay. No. And actually I got a follow-up to that. Okay. Uh, that's actually on the, uh, on the same screen. So when I was, um, uh, at my parents for uh, Christmas, uh, they have, uh, um, so they have Xfinity and they use their router slash cable modem. The gateway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, right. And I noticed this message that was interesting that came up on the iPhone, not the computer though, which was weird, but it was like, oh, by the way, and, and here's the wording. It said weak security. WPA slash WPA2 paren TKIP is not considered secure. If this is your Wi-Fi network, configure the router to use WPA2 AES or WPA3. Um, so I logged into the modem um, and went to settings. And sure enough, it was not set. To, it was set for TKIP. I don't know why. But, um, but yeah, I switched it over to AES and then that... Uh, and then that went away. So, uh, so that's a nice feature of, uh, because I, I, I hadn't seen that in prior versions of iOS. So I think that's an iOS 14 thing. So, right. Wow. Huh. That's a good one. Good catch. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, they caught it. I, I yeah. would have never have, have noticed. So. So iOS 14 is looking out for you. You know, I mean, I know Apple is certainly leaning in on the marketing message of, you know, privacy and security as features of their devices. But they also and that's fine, right? Like they do. And that's been sort of Tim Cook's thing is one of Tim Cook's things is really leaning in on that. And that's fine. But it also is actually real. Like Apple really does do a lot to make the devices and your experience with them more secure, more private, uh, and and ma just making sure you know what what it is, the decisions you're making, and and why they ma might matter. I, I think it's I, I think it's great. So yeah, that's good. Cool. Uh, Dan C in the chat room had a great quick tip 
uh, I'm sure we've mentioned it before, but it is a good reminder because I forget about it. He says, I really like to switch apps on my iPhone just by swiping along the bottom of the screen. And he's right. The little white bar that lives on the bottom of your iPhone screen, uh, the virtual bar, not not anything real, but that bar that you can sort of, you know, do the the L from to bring up the app switcher. If you just swipe back and forth on that bar, it will go back and forth between your apps. Now, it does get weird because if you go, it, let's say you're you're in uh, the Mac Geek app app, right? And you swipe that to the right so that you can get to whatever the prior app was. Let's say that's Safari and you're messing with Safari. Now, my brain would tell me that I would then swipe left to get the Mac Geek app app, which is off to the right. But no, once you've spent a few seconds engaging with Safari, that's now the rightmost app because it's the most recently used app. And so you switch, you swipe left. So there's a weird scenario when things are one way or the other, then that's a little wonky, but, but it is a great feature. I use it all the time. I just have to kind of go back and forth and figure it out. But I, I think I've, I, maybe I do use it more than I realize now that I'm saying this, cause I, I am sw doing swiping. So yeah, that's the beauty of quick tips is the things that are automatically in your fingers. I didn't even know that I used this one, but as I'm telling, telling you about it, clearly I do. So even better. It's good. It's good. Anything did you, your, yours is doing that too, right, John? Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool. Uh, listener Steve points out that, uh, he says Santa was very generous, generous and bought my wife an iPhone 12 pro and me an M one Mac mini. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Indeed. Very generous. Nice. Cheers. Uh, he says this morning I was reviewing the Apple support site to see if there was anything new I needed to know. And I came upon a support article, which we've put a link in the show notes titled how to create a bootable installer for Mac OS and thought you might want to share it with all the listeners. It, Steve's right. This is a great thing to do. You can do it entirely on your Mac. Uh, the tools are built into the Mac OS installer. So once you've downloaded, say, the Big Sur installer, you can just go to the terminal and paste in this command that uses create install media. Uh, and they've got, it's great. If you go to this knowledge base article, again, it's linked from MacGeekab.com. And if you go to MacGeekab.com, you can sign up for an email so that you never miss the show notes. Uh, you do that and then, uh, it lists the command for Big Sur all the way back to El Capitan. So as long as you've got whatever you, you know, your installer, now it can then go make the USB drive for you. And it's, it's, I, I've used it lots. It's great. So good tip, Steve, for sure, to make sure you have that bootable installer before you need it. Very good. Uh, okay. And if, on that note, John, I have, I mentioned that I rolled my MacBook Air, my 2018 MacBook Air around a little bit. My son, uh, his keyboard with his 2018 MacBook Air was a little wonky again. And, uh, and so uh, he sent that in for service once his semester ended, uh, his school read, uh, sent all the kids home right before Thanksgiving. That was the plan. They actually made it, which was great. They did twice weekly surveillance testing of the campus and were able to keep things under control, which was good. But anyway, send them all home. They finished the semester. Once his finals finished, he was like, okay, now let's do this. And he sent it in for service, which was fine. And they replaced the keyboard again. Um, and, uh, and now he's fine, but he used my laptop, my old laptop in the interim. And when he got the new one back, 
you know, we cloned over to the the new one. I actually I did it by wiping it with um with I went into recovery mode. I I deleted the partition. So recovery mode disk utility. I deleted the partition and then immediately added the partition uh and then did reinstall Big Sur, which it did, and it was fine. Uh when he got it back, it was in the afternoon or something. I was here in the office. He's like, you know, any reason we need to do this together? I'm like, no, just go ahead. You're fine. So the plan was he was just going to do exactly the same thing and and reinstall Big Sur on the on his laptop and then migration assistant over from that. And so he did. But he went into disk utility, re recovery mode, disk utility, deleted the partition and then rebooted into recovery mode again. He's not entirely sure of the steps he took, but he knows that that's part of it. He might have done something else. He might have deleted another partition. We're not sure. But whatever he did left him with no recovery partition on that computer. And he tried internet recovery, but that, of course, wanted to install like Mojave because that was the OS, the, the you know, the earliest OS that came with it or something. And that was no bueno. You know, he's like, oh, I don't want to do this and then upgrade and all of that. And so we said, OK, and and thought about other ways to do it. And of course, we could have done what Steve said, create a bootable installer. And, and we thought about that and then thought, wait a minute, you know, we've got Carbon Copy Cloner on his temporary laptop, the one he's actively using, and we can do target disk mode because they're both Thunderbolt machines. So we, we booted into internet recovery mode. We launched disk utility. We made a new volume and then we rebooted that Mac and put it into target disk mode. And once it was in target disk mode, we plugged it in, we ran carbon copy cloner and we said, go clone to that other thing. And it did the whole thing. It made a recovery partition. It obviously put all the stuff out there. It did what it needed to do. It asked a question. It was like, because this is going to be a bootable volume, you need to let me do something with APFS. We were like, yeah, go. It's all you. And it did it. And honestly, I think it happened faster than it would have if we did a reinstall of the OS and then migration assistant. Uh, in the end, I think either one of them would have gotten him there. But this was was a really smooth process. So, I, you know, I'm 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 rethinking what my default plan would be. Obviously, either one of them would work. But that whole, you know, just restore, truly clone the clone is, is what it turns out to be, right? Just clone the clone back. And if, as long as you're booting from the clone and you have a, uh, you know, a way to connect the drive, but it could just be an external and an internal. It doesn't need to be two different computers. It just happened to be in this scenario. But I, I think that, I don't know. What do you think, John? Like, I, 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 prior to this, I would have defaulted to recovery, install, migration assistant. but. Now that I was forced down this other path, I was like, I don't know. Maybe that should be my new default. I don't know. What do you think? <clears throat> okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Am I missing? Like, is there, is there some part of the process? No, I mean, I've, I've seen target this. Yeah. I don't think I've ever done a migration with target this mode. Mm -hmm. So. It worked great. I mean, it took like 30 But I know minutes. it's an option. Yeah. Yeah. But I know it's an option when it comes up. It's like, you know, connect. A, oh, that's, it's one of, one that's of the options. different. That's different. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, no, no, no. Migration assistant. Yeah. Migration assistant is awesome with that because you can be in the middle of a Wi-Fi migration and plug a Thunderbolt cable in and it'll be like, oh, okay, I'll do it over Thunderbolt instead or plug an mm -hmm. Ethernet cable in and it'll be like, okay, I'll do it over. It'll mic it'll it'll switch back and forth mid migration assistant. No, what I'm talking about is I did target disk mode, truly target disk mode. Right, right. And carbon copy cloner. So no migration assistant involved. I see. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, so it was so it was migration assistant versus carbon copy cloner is really mm -hmm. the the sort of the crux of this here. And I'm not mm -hmm. sure like do you have any like thoughts about one versus the other cuz carbon copy cloner is way faster. <laughs> I think it might be my new preference. So, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> all right. Uh, we have all kinds of cool, good stuff to get to. The next thing that I want to do, if we're good on this, is I want to talk about our uh, our first couple of sponsors, if that's okay. I'm really excited, actually. Please. All right. Our first sponsor here is Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com. And they are happy to announce, and we are happy to share, OWC's new app, Copy That. This is an app that easily lets you copy photos and videos from your iPhone or iPad directly to external storage devices, right? This gives you the ability to select what you want to copy, where you want to copy it, how you want to copy your data, and it's available now for iOS and iPadOS, so that means iPhone and iPad, right? So with, I love this name, copy that. So we copy that, OWC has taken the guesswork out of data backup. The process is now simple. Connect your iPhone or iPad to an external drive, select the type of media you want to copy and how you want to copy it, then click the copy that button and you're done. And so this is great, whether you're, you know, a hobbyist and, or a full-on geek or on the path to becoming a full-on geek, you're good. You want to make more room on your devices, you want to extend the life of those older devices, it makes sharing effortless, and of course, you can copy anywhere. So, OWC's Copy That is, of course, available in the App Store, and even better, it's available for free. So, go check it out. We'll put a link in the show notes directly to copy that, but, uh, but to, you know, go to the App Store and go get it. Our thanks to OWC for making Copy That and for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Cashfly. Anybody that's listened to this show for any amount of time has heard us say at the end of the episode, every episode, and our thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth that gets the show from us to you. And Cashfly has been our bandwidth partner for over a decade here, almost as long as we've been doing the show itself. And they've been fantastic. The best part is their service just works even better. They now have a new web optimization system there that you can sign up for that will allow you to really make your website faster. And that's super important these days. They do this by having powerful APIs for solving all your content distribution problems. They basically take care of that headache for you. They do all your next-gen image optimization on the fly. They allow load balancing because they have these, you know, they've got servers everywhere, literally all over the world, allowing for smart asset delivery. That's one of the things we do here, right? Very cool. And even better, the good people at Cashfly are even going to provide a free optimization consultation for you just before being a Mac Geek Gab listener. That's right, just for you. So, you get to know exactly where your site stands today with a Lighthouse score report and then learn how Cashfly's web optimization solution can help add 60 points instantly. That's 60 out of 100. These are important points. It can add 60 points instantly to your score. Visit mac.cashfly.com and our thanks to Cashfly for sponsoring this episode. 
All right, Dave, here we go. Um, so Bill says, um, I'm scratching my head over some recent Mac app store behavior regarding updating apps. My wife and I each have accounts on our iMac and MacBook Pro. My account is the administrator account on both machines. For a couple of months now, the app store and her account on the MacBook Pro and only the MacBook Pro has indicated that iMovie should be updated. However, the date of the update is August 25th, 2020 for version 10.1.15, even when newer updates had already been installed. I always install the apps in my administrator account and they have always applied across the machine in question. I was hoping that updating the Big Sur would clear this out, but it didn't. When I launch iMovie, um, when I launch iMovie in my wife's account, it's the version that's compatible with Big Sur 10.2.1. I'm afraid to click the update button for fear it will screw things up if it tries to update an older version of iMovie than is on the machine. What can I do to clear this annoying update badge? Uh, today I was in my wife's account on the iMac and I was disturbed to see a different but related issue. The app store in her account now says that she needs to update iMovie, GarageBand, Numbers, Pages, and Keynote to the versions released this month when Big Sur came out. Of course, I've already updated them and when I launch any of those apps in her account, I get the version that it's telling me needs to be updated to. Why is this happening? Um... I think we can leave it at that. Um, I've seen this before, Dave, and it's weird. Um, and I think it's, uh, as with many issues in the world today, it's a cash <laughs> issue. Okay. Um, so I found an article here. It's, um, yeah, it's at chriswrites.com, and we'll link to it. And the title of it is Struggling to Download Apps, Try Clearing the Apple App Store Cache. And it basically gives you instructions on where to go in the OS. And I looked and, and all the locations seem to be accurate. But um, basically, you delete some cache files. Um, you kill off uh, or, or restart a number of processes, App Store processes. Yep. And... I'm hoping that'll do it for you. So I think there's, yeah, there's a, a damaged or stuck cache file that's giving you the wrong information. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think you're right. I, um, I keep running into this on all of my Macs, including, you know, Macs that I've set up from scratch where updates don't show up. Uh, if I visit the apps page directly in the app store, the little button that would normally say like get or, or open says update. So when it's looking, it knows that the updates there, but on the update tab, it, they don't appear. And, and so I did not, I have not tried this, this clear out the cache thing. I probably should. I, I will. But what I've been using is Mac updater and, uh, and it tells me when Mac App Store apps are up to date or, uh, you know, have updates. And and then I go to the, you know, then it just brings me to the page, which is great. It makes it super easy. And then that's it. And then, you know, I then I hit update and, and I'm good to go. So, yeah, trusting the App Store's updater engine has been proving to be uh, not enough if you want to keep your apps up to date. I guess that's that's what I'll. 
that'll be my assessment of it. I don't know. I, have you seen any of this, John? Are, is the absolute? Uh, would you even? Well, know? I got some annoyance. Yeah. Actually, on this machine, um, I have two annoying things coming up here. So I haven't upgraded this uh, mini to a uh, big sir, and maybe I should because um, no, not yet. Not with not with Mimo Live. Okay. <laughs> soon. Okay. Soon, but not yet. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but I get two annoying things. So one, software update says, oh yeah, you want to upgrade to Big Sur? But then also, it, it's an app store thing. A similar thing is that if I go to the app store, yep. it says, um, oh yeah, uh, AR, uh, Apple Remote Desktop and GarageBand uh, have updates available. But if I click update, it says, oh no, 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 you got to upgrade to Big It's like, why are you telling me there's an update that won't run on this version of the OS? Yeah. So yeah, I feel like that's an oversight. Cash. Yeah. Cause I, cause I've seen that too there. Yeah. Like, in fact, I have exactly those same two, uh, sitting here on this machine telling me, Oh, you've got updates. And it's like, yeah, but not really, not for me. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. And there's no way to tell it to ignore them, but it happily ignores other ones of its choosing that I then have to use Mac mm -hmm. updater to find. So yeah, the app stores updater engine is mm, questionable integrity or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's not good. It's not good. All right. Uh, you want to, uh, why don't you, let's, let's go to, I guess we have another, a different bill. So that's fast. It's the show of bills here. Okay. Uh, and this one, Bill writes, he says, I've tried multiple times this morning to update my 2017 iMac from 11.0.1 to 11.1. However, every time I get an error message and have been able to do the update. And he says, I've never experienced anything like this. The update error message says it's in, you know, he goes into software update, clicks the update now button after some unspecified period of time. It says download failed. An error occurred while downloading the selected updates. Please check your internet connection and try again. And he went through a lot of these steps, which I'm going to share because they are good steps to go through. But they've all been, of course, wrong for Bill because he wrote to us, didn't have the answer. He says, my iMac is connected via Ethernet. I've tried connecting using Wi-Fi. No success. I've tried turning off Wi-Fi and just using Ethernet. No success. I've rebooted. No success. I've booted into safe mode. No success. I've looked online, but haven't found anything. I've checked Apple's status page. I successfully updated other machines, so I know that my network is working for specifically this. And he says, I successfully updated iMovie on the same Mac performing, you know, in the app store thing. So it saw that uh, other things to try when you see something like this, all of mine are going to be wrong for Bill's scenario too. We will get there. I'm intentionally bearing the lead uh, because it is good to know about these other steps because not every problem is solved the same way. Trying to reset the SMC or the PRAM would be um, everything. Okay. Over there, Mr. Braun. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, resetting SMC or PRAM. Uh, obviously restart the Mac would be one way to do it uh, or one thing to try. Another thing, because it's complaining about the internet connection would be to change your DNS to something that you're not using. Uh, so using 1.1.1.1 or 8.8.8.8. So I think 1.1 is Cloudflare and then 8.8 .8 is Google just trying a different DNS. And the reason for that is by using a different DNS server, you could potentially and hopefully get a different download server from which to attempt to get this update. Cause it might be a problem 
on their end. So by changing DNS or even using a VPN or something like that, just to force the download to come from a different one of Apple's edge servers might solve the problem. Um, and then um, we've heard this from a lot of people like we've got yours is not the first email we got just this week about this stuff. In fact, I think there were like five or six of them. Many people reported, try, try again. Uh, some people tried 10 times and then on the 11th got the download to come through. So the bull, the, the bullheaded persistent uh, persistence approach is, is does apply here again. It's not Bill's solution, but it might work for you. Bill's solution was that his drive didn't have enough space to download the update. He just happened to look and saw he only had like, you know, 10 gigs free or eight gigs free or something. He went in and cleaned out some iMovie downloads and uh, or some movies downloads or something, got himself up to whatever, 30 gigs free or 40 gigs free. And then boom, the update worked just fine. Why it was telling him, please check your internet connection and try again. Now, I don't know. But uh, but sure enough, as soon as he cleaned out those files, emptied the trash, the update went through without a hitch. So now it could have been that the, the bullheaded persistence was the answer here. And he just happened to try the one more time. But it coincidentally was right after he cleaned out and got above, you know, 10 gigs free. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Weird. Yeah, I've had. Yeah, when I've had this happen, and sometimes it's because Apple's servers are getting slammed. Mm -hmm. Like I think I had this happen when Big Sur was released. Sure, that sure. I yeah. I tried to download it, and at some point it would say, "Well, I think your connection's flaky." It's like, "Well, no, your connection's flaky." Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, this isn't my fault. This is your fault. Or their CDN right. is is acting up. I don't know. Right. Yeah. 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 Could it could you're right? It could be their CDN. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy content distribution network, which right. uh, they should use Cashfly, man. That's what we use. Works. Uh, I, I was thinking that. Yeah, I think they use Akamai. I think so. Mostly. Yeah. Hacks. Mm -hmm. No, <laughs> Akamai's fine. <laughs> Akamai's fine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it could be a lot of things. But um, again, knowing like like I liked how Bill troubleshot that on his end where he went in and, and, you know, he tested with a different machine, same network, tested the different types of network connections. Obviously they were leading him down the wrong path, but uh, be only because the error message was leading him down the wrong path. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as Kiwi Graham in the chat room at live.macgeekup.com points out the amount of space, the amount of free space required for updates now is getting quite large. And the reason for that, I think, is that Big Sur is in and of itself a universal binary, right? The the installer for Big Sur has both Apple Silicon and Intel code 100% of the stuff, right? It's all there twice. So I think that's why, you know, the Big Sur installer was like 12 gigs or something. We've never seen it installed. That yeah. Way, right? Yeah, it was 12 right or something. 12.2 gigs. Wow. It's double the size that it's been in the past, which if you're writing for two chips makes sense, but that's a lot of space to need to use, especially on machines that, you know, I mean, big Sur run on, on max going pretty far back. And so, you know, on machines that were sold with two fifty six gig hard drives, that's a, that's a hard sell right there. 
you know, the, to have 15, 16, I think you might even need close to 20 gigs free in order for it to do its like unpacking. Remember when software updates happen now because of APFS, it's actually pretty cool what they've, what they do, but it does require some space is they essentially create a second system partition. I might be oversimplifying this. If I am, it's because my interpretation of it is oversimplified. Uh, it's not an intentional oversimplification. They create a second uh, partition. They create a second volume. They update. And, and it really, I think it's a duplicate, but I might be wrong about this. But I think they duplicate the, the, um, the system partition, right? So we've got system and data. They duplicate the system partition, update the duplicate. As long as it succeeds, then the old one is deleted. But until it boots, the old one sits right there for, you know, you can just bounce over to it and you're done. You're good. To, well, not done, but you've rolled back without losing anything because you didn't overwrite all that stuff. And that's, you know, because the way duplication and all that stuff can happen with APFS cloning and, and all that, which is really cool. Uh, but it does require more space. Not only do you have to download the update, but now you've got, you know, essentially this backup sitting there. And then you're updating the, the, the clone of it and all those updates, even though the clone of it doesn't take any more room because of the way APFS magic works. As soon as you start updating things, then it does take more room and that, you know, there you go. And, and you're updating things that now have, that now are universal binaries. I don't, I think, in fact, I know based on what we've seen here in the house, Apple's not sifting through and only installing like Intel code on Intel Max and M1 code on M1 Max because a Big Sur installation can boot either. So it is a fat binary. I wonder now, John, if we will see something like, I wish the name of it would come to me. There was that app that would go through and strip out like all the the extra languages and and would strip your old fat binaries with the original Rosetta from PowerPC to Intel. Uh, it would go strip out all that stuff and only run the Intel stuff and keep your your space used. What do you remember the name of that app, man? You know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, Mac uh, Mac Cleaner do no. some of that stuff. Yeah, gosh, um, monolingual Doctor Dream in the oh. chat room for the win. Yes, monolingual oh, okay. was would 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 narrow it down. At least that was the thing for the um, for the uh, uh, Mac OS. Uh, that was the thing for the language support. But I think it was. It might have also been for, yeah, I, I, I thought it did other things too, but maybe not. Maybe it just was the language thing, but the monolingual definitely did that. I thought there was something that would strip the fat binaries out and I don't think it was Mac cleaner, but it might've been. So if you know, let us know. We, we gave you the email address before Matt, uh, feedback at MacGeekUp.com. I'll break the rules. Last show of the year. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, but I'll put a link to monolingual. There's a GitHub page for it. I think it looks like so. Yeah. Would Onyx or cocktail strip the code? I don't think so. Kiwi Graham. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, Warren is saying he needs something that would strip fat binaries out. Yeah, I know. I know we will. We'll want those on our M1 machines soon. We'll want them on our Intel machines soon, but it is nice to know that it just boots no matter what. So 
Oh, KiwiGram notes that with code signing, can you still do that? My guess is no. As soon as you make changes to that binary, the code sign verification will fail. Right. Hmm. Right. Could you even still do monolingual, right? I mean, I, I think it like they don't support anything even remotely current. So I bet code signing forces us to keep those fat binaries, KiwiGram. KiwiGram in the chat room, of course. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, yep. Apple giveth and Apple taketh away. Back to my, I have to remind myself of my earlier comment that Apple really does uh, keep, stay committed to this privacy and security thing. And sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on to the, are we, can we, are we good to move on to the next question, John? Yeah, I think the thing, uh, no, what I was referring to was a uh, clean my Mac 10. And I think it does some of that in one of its categories, though I don't see it explicitly stated here. And I haven't run that for a long time. Huh. Maybe I should. <laughs> and, I, and I believe that is pronounced clean my Mac X, believe it or not. That, that X is not there to represent a 10. Oh, okay. I, I, who knew? Right. When, when they, uh, they sponsored the show for a few months and, and that was the first comment we got, uh, after the first round of ads that they sponsored a bunch of our shows here at backbeat media. And I, and that was the first, one of the first comments we got was, Oh, that, that X don't say 10 say X. And it's like, okay, cool. I mean, sure. Mm -hmm. But, but we're all Mac users. So we, we've been trained that X means, you know, say 10. So, yep. Of course. Now it goes to 11. Now it goes to 11 and it's not XI. We just call it 11 which is good. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Kent has a question for us, John Kent writes. He says um, he's been having a problem uh, with uh, disk utility and disk images. Uh, he says, uh, let's see. He says, I'm trying to think, Oh, there were, I guess there were several emails here, but the issue, John that Kent is seeing is he created a disc image with carbon copy cloner, right? And then he went to mount it and he, uh, he says, but the sparse bundle would not mount at all. And he would get an error message that popped up that says, warning, the following disc images couldn't be mounted. And then it gives the name of the image and the reason as resource temporarily unavailable. He says, I'm now beyond the limits of my knowledge, but a quick Googling of this message implies that the resource may not be available if it's being accessed by another computer or if it's in the process of performing some sort of maintenance. While there shouldn't be more than one computer accessing this specific sparse bundle, each machine has its own backup files, uh, that they are timed to occur roughly around 1 a.m. every two or three days. And it's possible that the process could overlap, but surely that's not my issue. He does say, after waiting 30 minutes or so, I tried again and the bundle mounted, at which time Carbon Copy Cloner began attempting a new backup into the bundle. Uh, 15 minutes in, and it seems like it's working fine. This is just to be sure I'm going to change the schedule. So this is one of those weird things. I've seen this before with sparse bundles, uh, with the resource temporarily unavailable, where I tend to see it, John. I don't back up to sparse bundles on a regular basis, which is probably why I don't see it there. But where I see it is when I download a sparse bundle, and then immediately after the download finishes, I want to open the sparse bundle and it says resource temporarily unavailable. And I used to think the download failed. So I download it again and I get the same message and then I'd go back to the first one and it would open. 
I think, and I've seen this looking at processes on my Mac and like what is using it. You can use like LSOF uh, in the terminal. And I don't quite remember the right way to invoke it to, I think, I think you just do LSOF and then I pipe it through um, like grep or something to find the name of the, the image so that I can see what's using it. But um, it's Apple's, uh, and I forget what the name of the process is, but whatever their malware protection thing is, scans downloads. And if that is scanning your disk image, you can't mount the disk image and it gives you this message. Mm -hmm. It should give you the message. Hey, hang tight. We're busy scanning this and we'll open it for you as soon as we're done. Like that would be the mm -hmm. right way to handle this. No, not today. No. Uh, gatekeeper is, is the generic name for that particular message. So, um, so there you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or protect X is the uh, other thing, X. right? Yeah. That's the other <laughs> one. That's right. Yeah. 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 So craziness, craziness, craziness. So that is often, it's often wait, you know, <laughs> wait longer as I, as I'd like to say my, my friend Corey used to run a, uh, an ISP or something like that in the early, early days. Like, and he had, you know, customers obviously, but it was just like a one man thing. And, and, and so he's, he, his, um, support page said, uh, leave us a message. Uh, we try to answer everything within, you know, one hour. If you've waited an hour without an answer, wait longer. That was, that was mm -hmm. what he said. If you've waited an hour and still have no answer, wait longer. And that would get him there. So there you go. So wait longer. And it's actually, go ahead. Right. It's actually X protect, not protect X. That's it. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Good. All right. Uh, we have some more questions. I want to talk about this time capsule thing, and then maybe we've got some time for cool stuff found toward the end of the episode too. Uh, but the next thing that I want to do, John, is I want to talk about uh, our next round of sponsors, if that's all right with you. Go. All right. Our next sponsor here is Sunbasket at sunbasket.com slash MGG. That's where you're going to go so that you can skip the grocery store and have delicious meals full of organic, fresh produce delivered straight to your door. Because getting dinner on the table quickly does not have to mean sacrificing nutrition nor quality. Right. And with Sunbasket, you can have it all every single day. We had Sunbasket for dinner last night. Now, we wanted to test out a lot of things. So we did a bunch of their, we actually did three of their two person meals. <laughs> and, uh, and it means a little bit of leftovers for lunch today, which is even better. So for the four of us, we did. But what's cool is Sunbasket has these fresh and ready meals. So, these like are almost like just heating up dinner. It's fantastic. And they're so fresh and so tasty. We did this butter chicken with uh, basmati rice pilaf that was delicious. We did these uh, ribeyes with a mushroom glaze that were delicious. And we did, um, oh, it was this popperdell pasta with fresh spinach. So the first and the third ones of those were these fresh and ready things that you basically just warm up in the oven uh, and you're good to go. 
then the uh, ribeyes and stuff, those we cooked. But the nice part was it took like 20 minutes to do all three of these. We did them simultaneously and it was kind of fun. It was, you know, like a melting pot Thanksgiving kind of thing. We had all kinds of stuff to eat and it was delicious. And like I said, I'm looking forward to a little bit uh, as uh, as leftovers for lunch here. So you got to check this out. They make it super, super easy. And right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go right now to sunbasket.com slash MGG and enter promo code MGG at checkout. So that's sunbasket.com slash MGG. Then make sure you enter promo code MGG at checkout for your $35 off your order. That's sunbasket.com slash MGG with promo code MGG. And our thanks to Sunbasket for sponsoring this episode. Next up is ladder at ladderlife.com slash MGG. Look, you know, if 2020 brought us any awareness, it's that life is kind of fragile. And certainly throughout this year, I've had more of that like thoughts about planning for, Hey, what would happen if something catastrophic happened to me and making sure that, you know, the people that are my family, obviously that rely on me and the people that work for me, like how would, you know, my business partners, those sorts of things, how would I make sure that everybody has what they need if I'm taken out of commission, you know? And so on that note, it makes sense why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is actually surprisingly affordable. Why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones that you love? And if you're asking yourself this question, choose Ladder because Ladder makes it impressively fast and easy to get covered. I I just went through the quote process here. And I, I mean, they say that it's, you know, less than 10 minutes. It's really just less than 10 questions. I think I did it in less than a minute. And the quote that you get will be right there. And and they even offer to have you compare it to other places so that you know that you're getting a fantastic rate. And it's because Ladder has these smart algorithms that work in real time. So you'll find out instantly if you're approved and, you know, what it'll cost you. There's no hidden fees. You can cancel at any time. And since life insurance does cost more as you age, now's the time to cross it off your list. So lock in your best rate today and get your family covered with Ladder. Go to ladderlife.com slash MGG. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash MGG. Ladderlife.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Ladder at ladderlife.com slash MGG for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, I am uh, eager to get to this next question here that Todd sent in. He says, I need to figure out how to replace my time capsule that's 10 years old and probably won't last too much longer. He says, currently... It's the time machine destination for my MacBook Pro and my wife's MacBook Pro. How are laptop using users doing time machine these days? He says, the way I see it, I have some options. I can do an external USB drive on each Mac. On each Mac, he says, uh, that's bad for the laptop lifestyle. Agreed. I, he says, I could do a NAS, like a Synology, the DS220+. Plus. Uh, he says, that would be 500 bucks with two four terabyte drives. Big learning curve, potentially. Is it overkill for just backups? Probably. Yep. Uh, An external USB on a new Mac Mini. Uh, And so he says, then I could have that as my backup destination. He's like, but that also seems like I'm sort of going the wrong path. Do I just punt and use Arc and Backblaze or something like that instead of Time Machine? Any other ideas? So I have some ideas, but it really blows my mind, John. I never stopped to think about this, that... Apple allows for network time machine backups and doesn't offer their own NAS anymore, right? Because the time capsule was a NAS. It was a NAS with a router built in, but, um, but they don't offer 
Like there is no Apple device to do this, which is, you know, kind of blew my mind. I was like, oh, huh. of course, they don't really they don't sell hard drives to do it either. So maybe that's it's not that strange. Right. You buy your own drive, either a network drive or, uh, you know, a direct attached drive. And, and we've got the tech to send your backups to it, sort of. Uh, so thinking about this, um, I came up with a couple more options. One would be to buy a router that has the ability to hang a USB drive off of it and therefore, and has the ability to manage that as a, a time machine. And Synology's routers, all of them, including like the $140 MR2200 AC, do it. Um, Netgear's routers, most of them, especially the Nighthawk models, but not Nighthawk mesh nor Orbeez current mesh, uh, support ReadyShare. And ReadyShare is, is Netgear's name for their, attach it to a USB port and use it. And it, work, it's, it encompasses printers and drives and things like that. And ReadyShare allows for Time Machine. We'll put in a couple articles in the show notes to, to flesh that out. Asus routers, Linksys routers, most of them that have USB ports also support Time Machine. So if you've got one of those routers, you might be an external drive away from having Time Machine support. So take a look at that because that's a great place to do it because your router is an always-on computer on your network, right? So there you go. Um, but there's another option to throw in there, and that is a non-Synology NAS. You know, we talk so much about NAS, and it, on this show, it essentially equates to Synology. Anytime we mention NAS, it's Synology. And the reason for that is we often are talking about full-featured NAS devices, right? Where not only is it just network storage, but because it's a computer on your network that is on full-time, well, let's do something with that storage. Let's run a Plex server. Let's run, a, you know, a VPN server. Let's run, like, all the fun things that we talk about with Synology, which we won't get into right now. But there are less smart NAS drives out there that will handle this and you know for like 160 bucks you can get two terabytes of network storage with the wd my cloud home right and then you of course you can spend more and get more and wd is not the only ones that make this so so there's lots of those so for 160 bucks you're good to go and point your time machine at it and you know you are truly good to go so maybe that's the right option so i throw all these out there um i don't know am i missing anything john what do you think uh, Drobo also does it, though I don't know if, I mean, I think they're still in business. You're, right? you're recommending it, not me. <laughs> I'm, I would not recommend Drobo to people right now. I have, like you said, I have no idea what the future of their business looks like. Their network devices have always been kind of wonky. Um, not for me, but, uh, you know, but there you go. So uh, mm -hmm. they work for some. I mean, people. the thing is, I still have the FS and I still store stuff on it. And um, every now and then, you know, a, a, it'll flag a drive as, sure. as bad and pop in another one. But um, but yeah, as far as, um, you know, application support and things like that, it's. Uh, <sighs> but I know some people that still use them and uh, they, they seem to like them. and. Uh, the FS was not a performance champ, but the uh, the later ones, I, I think, uh, I saw some pretty uh, impressive benchmarks the last time I saw them at a show, which uh, 
It's not that impressive. I have a five N here. It's, it's not that impressive. Uh, oh, I, don't, okay. I don't know what, what numbers they were showing you, but uh, it, no, it's again, I would not recommend them. So, but you know, there you go. Uh, yeah, but it does time machine. Uh, it does. It yes, it's true. It's true. They did make that part of it easy. That's true. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I like this idea of like $160, you know, the WD MyCloud. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think that's a, like, if he, if Todd had never asked us this question, I'm not sure I would have thought about recommending a WD MyCloud to someone, right? It's like, well, if you want a NAS, like you could go this other route. It's like, well, if all you want is a time machine destination and you want it for your laptop. So you want it on the network, not direct attached. Like this is a great option. So there you go. Mm -hmm. I, 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 these, and, are, uh, these are the things I learned. And I'm pretty sure QNAP also. Uh, I have actually never used the QNAP uh, NAS. So. so I would put QNAP into the same category as Synology in terms of they are the mm -hmm. full featured NAS th thing. So I don't know mm -hmm. that QNAP would offer something in the price range of all I use it for is time machine, right? Like it would be a right, little right, overkill. Right. But, but yeah, no, they, they make... I've always liked the QNAP machines that if you, if you launch a QNAP NAS and a Synology NAS side by side, uh, the, the user interface looks different, but app names are the same. A lot of the functions and the things that they do are the same and it's clear and I haven't been able to quite get the answers uh, that I want out of this. But my guess is that just like clean my Mac and Mac keeper, my guess is that QNAP and Synology had uh, st the, the CEOs of both of those companies started as partners of some sort mm -hmm. with, with clean my Mac and, and Mac keeper. One was an employee of the other, the clean my Mac guy was an employee of, of Mac keeper. And, um, and then there was, uh, then they split. It wasn't all that friendly as I understand. And, uh, and then there was this, you know, social terrible, like forum spam campaign, over like 400,000 forums that, uh, that completely trashed Mac keepers reputation and, uh, and then clean my Mac launched. So you can mm -hmm. arrive at your own conclusions there as to how that happened. But, um, but that, that is the order of events. And my guess is that without the, 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 the nastiness, uh, my guess is that Synology and QNAP have very, very similar roots that they came from the same place. So they do, and they do, they really approach most things the same way. QNAP has made some NAS, dry, NAS units with way higher performing processors, um, more targeted toward virtualization and things like that. Although the argument could be made, why would you want to put the processor inside your NAS? Why not just use the NAS as the storage for a high CPU mm -hmm. device, right? Split the two so that you're not marrying them together. Uh, but they've also made them for the living room at times with HDMI ports on the back so that you can have like your media server right there plugged into the TV and that sort of thing. My only complaint about QNAP devices, and I, I believe it's still true to this day, is they don't have something like SHR, Synology Hybrid RAID, meaning you have to use drives of all the same size 
in your uh, in your various raids, which which is fine if you're running a business. It makes actually makes a lot of sense. But if for those of us at home that are just kind of throwing drives in, I've always preferred SHR, which is why we recommend QNAP uh, Synology over QNAP here. Otherwise, uh, I really like them. So anyway, anyway, that was a nice little detour. But yes, QNAP makes makes great uh, devices. I've always been impressed with with what I um, with what I see from them. And they're, I like their app center. Like they've got a cool little user interface and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. You want to take us to speaking of now that we're on the subject of NAS, John, you want to take us mm-hmm. to, uh, to Dan? Dan, Dan has a question. We have talked about hard drives that they will eventually fail. Not if, but when. <laughs> I have a Drobo 5N with four of the five drives populated. Speaking of Drobo. Uh-huh. I have replaced one drive that failed and I replaced another proactively based on the date that I purchased the drive. I have one more drive that is four years old and I do have a replacement drive for it. My question is, should I go ahead and swap out the drive because of the age of the drive or wait until the drive fails or starts spitting out errors? I'm tempted to replace the drive now just because of the age of the drive and that it's four years old thoughts. And, uh, I think that's a good question. Um, I have both the Drobo and the Synology, and I find that the Drobo, Dave, uh, at least the FS here, um, is a bit lazy in that you may have to uh, coax it to flag a drive uh, as bad, and that I've had this happen a couple of times, uh, is that it didn't identify a drive as failing or bad um, until I power cycled it. So. One thing you may want to do is maybe regularly power cycle. Uh, well, it's good advice for just about any, yeah, any, <laughs> any anything. <laughs> but I find that'll coax it to uh, to flag a drive as bad, um, and the light goes red, and then you put the the other one in there. Um, you also might may want to, uh, although it'll reduce your usable storage. Um, they have something called dual drive redundancy. Uh, you may want to activate that just to protect your data better. Um, as for the Synology, you can set it to report an error if there's a certain number of bad blocks or if the number of bad blocks increases. And I was looking, and in the past, I would set it to one. It looks like now you can't, or I couldn't find where to do that, but I did have a box checked. Uh, if you run their, um, uh, it's called a Storage Manager, um, and you highlight a drive, and then you say Settings, it'll tell you a bunch of things here. Like here, I have where it says a Bad Sector Warning. Uh, drive health report, which actually is disabled, which I should enable. It says that you don't have notifications set up. So, so it'll even send you a, a nice little report on a monthly basis, um, telling you how your drives are doing, which I, I think is, I got to re-enable that. <laughs> I was wondering why those weren't arriving. Uh, maybe there was a DSM update that I missed. Uh, well, no, probably uh, when you got, well, in terms of push notifications, when you got your new iPhone, you mm. probably didn't, you got to install DS finder and then, uh, and then set up right. push notifications there for it. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Because I just started getting a message in one of my disk stations here that, you know, drive three is, excuse me, drive three is failing, which it, it is. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I haven't dealt with it yet. I have a hot spare in there. So if it really goes South, like, 
but I should maybe before the end of the year, before, you know, the tax year closes, maybe it's time to buy another drive. In fact, I definitely mm-hmm. do that. So, yep. Uh, but um, yeah. So yeah, if but, you, if you but go, they go, go ahead. But they, they go into detail about the number of bad blocks if you run a certain report. And um, sometimes I've seen it where it just reports, you know, one bad block, which I guess is okay. But uh, other times I've seen the number increase at an alarming rate. And that at that point, it's like toss that drive. And maybe, uh, and also when you get drives, do this because it's worked for me. Go to the company. I think right now I have Seagate and WD drives uh, for the most part. Register your drive with them because you know what? If it fails after a certain amount, in less than a certain amount of time, they'll give you a warranty replacement. And yeah. I have done that for with both companies. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so what I would say is I wouldn't, uh, I personally don't, replace drives on a on a regular timetable um i wait until the error is reported by the uh by the 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 device and then keep an eye on it sure um because dave i actually have believe it or not it's a hitachi drive in my drobo it's almost 10 years old and it's still working high quality drive Um, I mean, if you could afford to, yeah, replace the drive on a timetable, but, uh, uh, that's not what I do personally. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it, again, you know, for home use, I, I would recommend the same thing, you know, have a spare in there if, if you have the room for it, because that way, you know, especially a hot spare would be great. Um, or make sure you know that you can get a spare drive in house very, very quickly, but otherwise, yeah, mm-hmm. replace it when, when need be for anything. I, I was going to say enterprise, but I don't mean enterprise for even small business. I would say be proactive and, and make sure that you either have hot spares or you're, you know, replacing drives on a whatever three, every three to four year schedule would be my, that would be my advice. And do not replace drives, multiple drives in the same unit at the same time, because They will be running for the same amount of time. And if they're from the same batch, they will all fail right about the same amount of time. I've proven this to myself too many times over the years. I should know better. Um, But yeah, I know people in the, in the enterprise world that when they buy, you know, if they need to buy 10 drives or something for their various NASAs, they'll call up whoever their supplier, like an Ingram micro or something and say, look, I want two drives from, you know, that facility and two drives from that warehouse and two drives from that warehouse because they don't just want 10 drives from the same stack sent to them because they've learned. (laughs) So, but yeah, you're Mm -hmm. to to your point, John, watching that bad sector count number, if it's staying steady, you're probably, you know, that's one thing. If it's rising, that's another thing. My dad's got to drive in his NAS uh, at his house. And it's got 36 bad sectors in it and I watch it Mm -hmm. and I get the report every month. And as long as it stays at 36, I'm not going to replace it. But as soon as it starts to go up, it's like, okay, time to go visit dad. Yep. So, yep. Yes. Uh, But remember the old, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Remember the old days. I don't know if uh, you go this far back, but I remember when you had to manually 
map out the bad sectors on the hard drive controller. Oh yeah, that was crazy. Boy, was that fun. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> All right, let's um we don't have a ton of time left. Michael asks the follow-up question to this, which is a good time to answer it. What's your current favorite NAS drive, John? Um if you have a Synology, uh I would consider the Seagate Ironwolf. Um on the Synology, they have a uh, sp actually a special menu that will do extended tests. Um they call it Ironwolf Health. Um, they also have the Iron Wolf Pro, which has a greater maximum capacity, uh, a longer warranty, five years versus three years, and a rescue data recovery plan. Um, now there's one that you found, Dave. Um, Seagate also has one called an X, uh, the Exos, yeah. which I think you harvested out of an enclosure, only to um, save some money. And that's yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I would yeah, and and that. I, I disagree. And that's also an enterprise or NAS rated drive. Um, and, and I think it's more moderately priced than the Iron Wolf. So you get more bang for the buck with that. So uh, the word also is where I have major issues with, with that statement. We will disagree vehemently here. I will never recommend Iron Wolf drives again. Um, that, because nope. they are not nope. enterprise drives. They are barely NAS drives. Uh, their mean time between failure is like 1 million hours, whereas the Exos drives are 2.5 mm. million. Uh, you can get the Exos drives for less money right now than the Iron Wolf drives. And that's like retail pricing. Then, yes, if you find them in the Seagate desktop, I think is what it's called. I'll find it and put a link in the show notes because, as I mentioned, I've got to go buy one. Uh but you can shuck it out of there and save like 50 bucks uh, for whatever reason. They put the 16 terabyte Exos drive in the Seagate desktop, 16 terabyte or something. But uh, the, the Iron Wolf drives have been utter crap for me in my NAS devices. They no. fail. All right. They fail way too quickly. In fact, I had some 14 terabyte <laughs> ones that failed at like a one, at the one year mark. Um, they're, they're, like I said, their MTBF is like 1 million hours. I don't. I, I, again, I just wouldn't call them enterprise drives. And I don't think, um, no, uh, Seagate doesn't call them that either. They, they say that they're good for home and, and small business, but I would pay, I would buy the enterprise drives for less money than the iron wolf. You don't get the like crazy health menu it, that, with, with Exos that you do with iron wolf, but I'm not. I'm not really sure what the benefit of that crazy health menu is. Uh, I, I've, I've never, I mean, the drive's either good or it's bad. And, uh, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I've, I've had a really bad, like routinely bad experience with the Iron Wolf drives. Uh, but the Exos okay. drives are great. Yeah. So. Okay. I mean, on their product data page, they do say it's a NAS drive. But They um, say it's a NAS okay, drive, no, you're, you're, not an enterprise drive. Two different things. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Those aren't, those aren't the same. So, yeah, I would, I would stay far away from the, the, uh, the Iron Wolf drives. Just given my, I know the plural of anecdote is not data, but burn me twice mm -hmm. and I'm done. So, but the Exos drives are great. And, and again, the, the MTBF on them is two and a half million uh hours and i i'm i'm looking here the mtbf it's weird yeah the um if you look on the actually the even the iron wolf page shows iron wolf iron wolf pro and exos drives 
And you're right. The Iron Wolf is a three-year warranty. The Iron Wolf Pro is a five-year warranty. The Exos is also a five-year warranty. The Iron Wolf has a 1 million hour MTBF. The Iron Wolf Pro has a 1.2 million hour MTBF. And the Exos has a 2.5 million hour MTBF. So 1.2 with a five-year warranty or 2.5 with a five-year warranty. Uh, I'm pretty sure I know which way I'm going to go. So, yeah. Okay. No, no, no. And finally, I, I found a little write-up here at um, techradar.com where they list uh, their favorite NAS drives. And they have the Iron Wolf. They got, uh, let's see, WD Red, Red. is yep. another one, I guess. Yep. Uh, WD Gold. I hadn't even heard of that. Okay. Let's see. WD Red Pro. They have the Exos on their list. So, yep. um Oh, they got a Toshiba. Okay. I haven't used the Toshiba drive in a while. I think I had it in one of my MacBooks. Um, So that's what they got. So, you know, check that article out. That may help your decision. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put we'll put a link to that, uh, that article in the show notes there. So cool. All right, John, let's do some, uh, some holiday focused or just, you know, after the, the gifting season happens, it's always fun for us to go and uh, kind of dig into what, well, but now that we've taken care of everybody else, what about number one here? Like, what do you want to get for yourself? So, um, so we have a couple of things that uh, from you and from us that we figure we'll, we'll go through here. So we don't have a ton of time. We won't get through everything, but John, what's your, uh, do, do you have a thing to add? We can, we can, we have time for a couple each, I think so. Yeah, sure. Um, so I got, you know, new uh, new machines now with USB-C. And although I have uh, adapto things where I can plug in like USB-A stuff, I was scratching my head wondering if uh, SanDisk makes a version of their iExpand. Um, their iExpand is a dual connector uh, drive, the point being that you plug it in, plug one end into your phone and you can save stuff on it. And the other is you plug in your computer and you can save stuff or you can use it to shuttle data between the two machines. Um, and they have one now called the SanDisk iExpand Flash Drive Lux, L-U-X-E. Um, and it does a whole bunch of things. So it has the two connectors. Um, as I mentioned, you can go between. Um, you can also uh, that they, they typically have an app that'll uh, uh, offset uh, things in your camera roll to them. Which yep. uh, you know, if you don't have a lot of storage on your phone, uh, it'll do backups. You can automate backups of your data. You can password protect. Um, so um, that may be something to look at. And uh, let's see, the 64 gig is 45 bucks. The 256 is, oh, 90 bucks. Okay, so that's, that's uh, I think cool. that's pretty reasonable. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Cool. Cool, cool. Um, all right. Uh, we have, well, we have a question from Seth, which leads to a cool stuff found. I love when those happen. Seth asks, you have mentioned your affinity for tempered glass iPhone screen protectors. I just ordered my first Apple watch series six, and I'm curious if you have a similar recommendation for protecting Apple watch faces. Yeah, I, I have one and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's a, you know, one of these Chinese branded, um, Amazon things, 
and it's a piece of glass. It, when you look at it, you'll think, oh, I don't want a piece of glass with a black border. That That's going to look terrible. It, once it's on your watch, you don't see the black border because it's it fits like around the edge of your watch. And it does change the feel of the screen a little bit, but it just because it has to be like so small and so thin. And so it, it's a little But you get I got used to it really, really fast. Um, I've used the this particular one for many years. They tend to last me, uh, you know, six, seven months, and then they start to like fall off and I just put another one on. But you get like, I don't know, it's a two pack for 10 bucks or something. But uh, but there you go. If anybody out there has a recommendation that you like, let us know. We'll share it in the in the next episode. But um, but there you go. And then speaking of Apple Watch, John, when Apple came out with the new watches, they um, they came out with their solo loop K uh, band and their braided solo loop, which are these cool bands that have no clasp. You just, you, you size it and Apple has a great sizer on their website. You print out this thing, you make sure it's the right size by putting a credit card on the printout so that everything's right. And then you just wrap this thing around your hand or around your wrist. I guess you could put it on your hand if you, you wear your watch on your hand, but, uh, but I wear mine on my wrist. So you wrap it around your wrist and then uh, it tells you what number size. I think it's one to 10 or something like that. I don't know. And uh, maybe more. But anyway, it tells you what your size is and then you know what size to order. But Apple's solo loop case, which is um, like like rubber or something, is 49 bucks. Their braided solo loop uh, case, I call it a case. It's not a case. It's the, the band. Their braided solo loop band is $99. I do not like to pay that kind of money for watch bands. So... I go to Amazon and I find the clones and I found some great clones and our stockings were full of them this year. And so we've tested out lots of them. Uh, there's a solo loop. I and mean, I'll put links to the, our two favorites in the show notes. The solo loop clone is $12 versus 49. And the braided solo loop clone is $20 versus 99. And uh, again, I'll just put links in the show notes, but we've been all, all four of us have been very happy with both of these. And, you know, we've kind of messed with them. And, and I mean, we've only had them for a few days, so but based on past experience, these things will last. It's probably made in the you know same factory as Apple's bands that just sold out the back door or something like that. I don't know. They don't have mm -hmm. Apple logos on them, so what do I know? So anyway, there you go. That's those are my uh, those are my thoughts. I want to talk about the Netgear Orbi Six, John, but I'm going to wait till next episode because I don't want to um, I don't want to burn. Uh, we don't have time. I don't want to rush that is what I'm trying to say. Do you have another uh, cool stuff found to, uh, to add before we get out of here? Mm, not really. No. Okay. I will share a, um, it, it's not necessarily a cool stuff found, but it is a cool stuff to do. And, you know, we like to go places. Anybody that's listened long enough knows that, you know, my family, we like to like travel and, and do things and we like to have experiences. And right now, you know, for obvious reasons that those are limited in, in opportunity, but we have done a couple and we have several more this week booked, uh, Airbnb virtual experiences, uh, for my daughter's 21st birthday. We did a wine tasting a couple of weeks ago, which was, uh, was really fun and they did a great job with it. Yesterday we did a, uh, it was a, a, a tequila and cocktail. It was like a tequila cocktail and food ex experience. We, our kitchen table turned into this like m m workshop 
for two hours while we were on this zoom call with, uh, you know, with, with other people that were doing the same thing. And then two hosts, the way they did the call. Uh, and it was great. We made like these dips and, and some cocktails and it was, we'd learned a ton and we were chopping and crazy. It was, it was awesome. Really immersive. Um, we've got an escape room book later this week, a virtual, you know, online zoom. I think we've got a coffee experience or something booked later in the week. So the reason I share is I don't know if we would have thought to even do these were it not for us being like frantically trying to figure out what can we do for our 20, 21 year old daughter for her 21st birthday, you know, which sucks because she's in a pandemic and the wine tasting was great. And then it was like, well, wait, what else can we do? And we found these things and we've really been having fun with them. So, so go check them out. I, I just put a link in the show notes to Airbnb uh, experiences and, um, and you can find, you know, your, your stuff there, but it's great because there's reviews. And so, you know, you're picking the right ones and all that stuff. So, um, I will share a quick tip though, John, if you are using zoom, uh, we've did a bunch of zoom calls on Christmas day and actually one of my, um, family, one segment of my family does a weekly zoom call, which has been great. Um, I have found that using two displays with Zoom, and I've been using with my laptop that ViewSonic, that uh, VT16, whatever it is, the, the one we talked about recently in the show, uh, I've been using that one. But Zoom with two displays is awesome because what you get is one screen with all of the participants and then one screen that changes focus when... Uh, you know, when someone is talking so you can see the whole group. And of course you can customize this. It doesn't have to be that way. You could have one person full-time like with our, with our uh, tequila thing the other day, we had the host full-time on one screen and then everybody else sort of cycled through on the other one. And it really worked out great. So we could always kind of look back and forth and see, and you do this in zoom by go to zoom preferences, general use dual monitors. Uh, it's right at the top of, of general changes zoom immensely. So there's your bonus quick tip for the show. So I highly recommend it really, especially for, I'm guessing I haven't even tried it for work meetings yet, but, um, but certainly for the family stuff and for these online experiences makes a huge difference. Cause you, you don't otherwise with zoom, you're either seeing the big display or just the, the focus display with the little thumbnails and uh, you know, you kind of miss out, but if you have a second screen and I think you could do this with, um, mm -hmm with sidecar too. Right. So if you don't have a second screen, but you do, then you can. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Huh, I'll have my, to try that the next time I uh, zoom, which uh, should be in a couple of weeks. Right. Oh no, no, no. They're, they're using something else. Yeah. So I, um, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but, but what, what are you talking about? CES. Oh, it depends on. Yeah. I mean, it, there's all kinds of different events. I'm sure many of them will, will use zoom. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think they're using Microsoft for the CES branded stuff, oh, okay. but yeah, the Got other, it. other guys yeah. are using different things, which, uh, yeah. Yeah. I got to go through my emails and, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Filter. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I've, I've got, but, but as usual, most of my week is booked. Um, my CES week is booked. I just have to do it from home. So yeah, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. In fact, I've already had like two or three pre-briefings about some things that actually are actually really exciting. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. All right. Um, that's it. We're out of time. That's what, that's what we got for today. But, uh, but thanks for, thanks for hanging out with us. Let me see if I can find the band. Nope. That's the wrong band. They're playing the wrong song, John. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. What are they doing over there? I don't know. Too much Christmas cheer, I think. There they are. Mm-hmm. Now they're playing the right song. It's actually the same song, believe it or not. The, if, if we played the full version of the answer, you hear the very beginning of it. This is um, the end of it. So, everything all right, John? Look what they've done to my song. That <laughs> just popped into my head. All right. Mr. John F. Braun, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, yeah. So thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for, uh, it was a weird year, but a great year in terms of being able to do this. Um, you know, the fact that we all get to do this together every week is, I mean, we are, we are all very fortunate that we get to do this. And, and thanks to those of you that encouraged us to move this to a video thing for those that care to watch video. Um, it's, you know, it's been fun doing that too. So yeah, thanks for everything. I want to thank our premium subscribers whose contributions have come in as of late John, uh, Matthew from Forked River, Kenneth from New Lambton, William from Apollo Beach, Dave from Saugerties, Jeff from Chesterton, Bill from Duxbury, James from Melville, Joseph from Marietta, Frank from Tunbridge, Antonio B, Robert from Columbiana, Stephen from Plainfield, Brett H, Barry from, I'm guessing Barry's probably home this weekend for the holidays, Uh, Kurt from Princeton, Joe from Kingsley, and Ben from Berkeley. Thanks to all of you. And, uh, and to everyone on our premium program at macgeekab.com slash premium, you, you help the show continue. Uh, all of you help the show continue simply by listening. You certainly help the show continue uh, by visiting our sponsors, whether or not you buy is between you and them, but visiting them actually does help us. It shows that, uh, that we're actually able to reach people and, and that, that alone is what they're looking for, believe it or not. So if you're, if you're looking for something to do, if you, if you want to get John and I a gift, uh, just go visit and check it out. Again, whether you buy or not is, is between between you and them. Totally fine. Go send us a review. Go to MacGeekUp.com slash reviews. That will bring you as close as we can get you to being able to review us on Apple's podcast directory. And if you've done a review uh, more than six months ago, you can update that review. And that actually still like counts towards the algorithms and, and helps you know boost things up and all that stuff. So... Please, please. Yes, thank you. Thanks for everything, really, is what I'm trying to say. That's what it is. Thanks. You got anything to add, John, before it's uh, time to stop the red button? The red button is on, right? Yes. Okay, good. Nope. Good news. All right. Well, again, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for thanks for everything. I hope uh, everybody has a good, safe, happy new year. Interested to see what 2021 brings us. Hopefully good stuff. And, uh, yeah, thanks for hanging out. Visit our, our sponsors for this show, of course, Otherworld Computing at Mac Sales, mac.cashfly.com, sunbasket.com slash MGG, and ladderlife.com slash MGG. Yeah. I hope you all, yeah, have a good new year. But um, happy new year and make sure you take a moment to ensure that you don't get caught. See you next year. Made up. Bye, John. See ya.